0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Get it automatically. If you like the Stitcher app, you can find it there as well. It'd be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review on whatever platform you choose. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch.com. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at my com, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Today's guest is L Monteith, currently a member of Justice Ladies in Seattle, Washington. Justice Ladies will be performing at Sketchfest Seattle on Thursday, September 12th in the 830 block, along with Bathwater. Elle brings her first sketch, Self Checkout Nightmare. Elle reads the roles of Laura, who is the friend, and the automatic checkout machine itself. I read Karen, who's the customer, and Bev, the store employee. And I also read all the visual and active information that you need to know. So let's go to the sketch. Jean opens on Karen with a handbasket full of groceries, fewer than 10 items. She sees that the lines for the full service stands are unbelievably long and the self-checkout is clear. Self-checkout. Self-checkout's wide open.
1: Ugh, forget that. It's always a total nightmare.
0: Laura, Laura, Laura. You just have to know how to talk to the thing. It takes a certain je ne sais quoi.
1: Whatever you say. I'm taking my chances with lane four. I'll meet you by the double doors when you're finished. If you finish.
0: Laura disappears off stage. Karen smugly approaches the machine and begins the process. She sets her basket on the right-hand side of the machine and pushes the screen.
1: Welcome. Please scan your first item. Hello. Are you using your own bags?
0: Of course. I'm not a heathen. She places her reusable bag next to the machine.
1: Unexpected item in the bagging area. Please remove item before continuing.
0: Oh, my. Okay. She removes the bag and holds it away from the machine, peers at the screen, pauses, and gently places the bag again.
1: Unexpected item in the bagging area. Please remove item before continuing. (sighs) Unexpected item in the bagging area. Please remove item before continuing.
0: She grabs the bag and shoves it in her purse. We'll rendezvous later. She scans the first item without a hitch and places it in the bagging area. Second item goes smoothly as well. Karen visibly relax- relaxes.
1: Have you scanned your club card?
0: Karen jumps. She's startled. Oh, thanks for the reminder. Karen starts pushing her phone number into the card reader. And partway through the beeping, the beeping stops and the machine is now frozen. Frozen? What happened? We were doing so well. A line of people have begun to form. Karen addresses the other customers. Sorry. Welcome, valued customer. Thanks again. It sure is great to be here. She pulls a bag, she pulls a pack of gum from the basket, she scans the gum and drops it in the bagging area.
1: Please place your item in the bagging area.
0: It's there. It's in the bagging area. Removes the gum, weights, and firmly places it back in the bagging area, visibly frustrated.
1: Unexpected item in the bagging area. Please remove item before continuing.
0: Taking several deep deep breaths, Karen removes the pack of gum again. Irritation and frustrating mounting.
1: Unexpected item in the bagging area. An attendant has been notified to assist you.
0: Karen looks for the clerk, sees no one. She's getting more and more anxious as the line for the self-checkout grows and the light above the machine continues flashing. Finally, the clerk appears hi thanks i don't know i think the gum is too light for the weight sensor place the package directly in the bagging area oh yeah i did i just think it's place the package directly in the bagging area for it to be readable Bev scans her fancy store clerk card and corrects the machine
1: success
0: you may continue thanks sorry for the trouble Bev shoots a hard look at Karen before heading back to the station. Karen scans another item after Bev leaves and then realizes she has wine to scan and she'll have to call Bev over again. Laura approaches.
1: Hmm, Still here. Still scanning. Should I run some errands? The DMV maybe? You'll be what? Um, Another half hour?
0: Karen holds up the wine grimacing.
1: Oh, ID required. Another 45 minutes, then.
0: Please don't leave me. I'm afraid of the attendant. She hates me. Laura turning her gaze to Bev, who is definitely glaring, eyes locked on Karen and her machine.
1: It is in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. You've got this. I'll meet you at the exit.
0: Karen dejectedly watches Laura walk away. My past does not, my past does not equal my future. Carpe diem.
1: Age verification required. An attendant has been notified to assist you.
0: Bev suddenly appears standing unnervingly close. Hi, Bev. Karen waves as Bev approaches, glaring. I'm going to need some identification. Of course, yeah, it's right here. Karen pulls out her wallet, which is overflowing with grocery receipts. Nothing is in the correct place. Her ID is not in the usual slot, and the whole process is taking forever. I know it's here somewhere.
1: Hurry, a line is forming behind you. Hurry. Welcome. Please scan your first item. Place item in the bagging area. An attendant has been notified to assist you. Please remove item from the bagging area. Welcome, valued customer. Unexpected item in the bagging area.
0: Bev is growing more and more angry as the dome lights above the machine are flashing and she's needed somewhere. Karen finally finds her ID. Here it is! Bev scans her card again, punches in Karen's birthday. Scans the wine and places it in the bagging area before speeding off. <sighs> Thanks, Bev. Karen successfully scans her final items and places them in the bagging area. She pulls her out her overstuffed wallet again and finds her debit card. She inserts her card into the card reader and waits.
1: Please select payment
0: type. I did. I put the card in the slot. Isn't that pretty obvious? Leaving her card, insert it in the chip reader. She pushes debit credit from the self-checkout machine screen. Debit. Please insert card and follow the instructions on the pin pad. My card is already inserted. Card, insert it in slot. Karen removes her card and reinserts it into the card reader, gingerly. She catches Bev's eye, who is stoned, still glaring at Karen from her podium. Beep!
1: Chip malfunction.
0: Karen is getting angrier and angrier. She removes her card and reinserts it again, shoving it in this time
1: chip malfunction please use magnetic strip why are you doing this to me
0: karen loudly groans and flips off the machine she pulls out her card from the chip reader she takes a deep breath and swipes the card with as much care as she can muster given the high level of frustration
1: please insert card and follow the instructions on the pin pad
0: oh my god you said you just said use magnetic strip bev glares at karen from her perch Karen, in pure frustration, crouches down to the ground, trying to collect herself. She slowly rises and gently blows on the magnetic strip, futile effort, like you would do with the old Nintendo games, and reinserts the card. Hallelujah. Beep, 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 beep.
1: Please take your receipt. Please remove your items from the bagging area. Faster. People are waiting. Self-checkout is popular and convenient. Please hurry. Others are waiting for self-checkout.
0: Karen grabs her receipt and shovels the remaining groceries into the paper bag. Karen kicks the machine and flips it off one more time. Karen hurries towards Laura, intentionally avoiding Bev. (sighs) You're so right. Never again. Never. Ever. Again. Karen slides past the security guard and reaches for the coffee that Laura is holding out.
1: I speak from experience.
0: They turn to leave and discover Bev standing creepily in their way. Receipt. Karen is confused and hands over the receipt. Um, Bev reads the receipt and points to the paper bag. Direct violation of RCW 70.93. Illegal use of paper bags requires patron to return through self-checkout for proper payment.
1: Self-checkout is popular and convenient. Welcome, valued customer. Are you using your own bags? Self-checkout is a true time saver. Have you scanned your club card? Self-checkout spells convenience.
0: Karen breaks down. The end. Hey, Elle. Hey, Josh. All right, so tell me where this idea comes from.
1: This I know it might be hard to believe, but this is a very personal experience <laughs> taken <laughs> directly from my life. <laughs> I um have gone through the self-checkout many times and I always think it's going to save me time. It never does. And so I decided to write about it.
0: Whenever I go to the grocery store, I'm very like anxious about the self-checkout. Like I want to use it. I want to, you know, have as little human interaction as possible. <laughs> uh, and, and it, it's funny. Cause like in the sketch itself, uh, using the reusable bag is like the first major p- uh, yeah. part of contention. And I like, I try to be green. I try to have a bag with me whenever I go, if I'm using stuff, there's no way I'm using a reusable bag. Cause that's always <laughs> way more issues than I like.
1: I agree, and I'm also. I feel like there's an art to self-checkout, and for whatever reason, I have made it my mission to really successfully embrace that art form. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I, like
1: that reusable
0: you know, one. Uh, like I won't use self self-checkout if I'm buying fruit, like because you know the the the. Uh, the codes that they use for fruit yep. and stickers. And then you have to wait. it. <laughs> just not worth my time. <laughs> it's like, so true. I will deal with a regular person with that stuff. with, there, There's a list of rules for sure. You can self check out. <laughs> uh, so, when did you write this sketch?
1: So, this, I am, I wrote this sketch with, um, I started it in 2017 after a particularly frustrating grocery experience. And then I kind of forgot about it, but I joined a sketch group in early 2018 and it was my first foray into sketch comedy or sketch writing. And, um, I remembered that one and as a group collaboratively, we kind of worked on making it what it is today. (laughs)
0: Okay, so you wrote this before you were in a group.
1: Yes, I had the idea for um, like a self self checkout. Just kind of, I don't know. It just I write all the time, and okay. I've never and it I um, have never actually done like like I guess it you know when you just journal all the time or keep a notebook all the time. That's mm-hmm. been my experience, and so I jotted down after this particular grocery frustration I jotted all that down and thought I'm going to write a short story about this because I I have too many of these experiences and then I um, joined a, this sketch group and we got together through improv and I met these ladies at um, through Jet City Improv in Seattle we were enrolled in classes and when we um Got together in the early part of 2018, last year, I guess. There was, uh, we were preparing for um, the Pocket Theater's month of sketch comedy, which happens in May, I believe. And we all got together and thought, you know, what can we do to, what, how can, what do we want to write? Does anybody have any ideas? We were very new to the whole thing. And I pulled out my, my grimoire of things that I constantly am writing down and ideas I have in short stories and little essays. And, um, this one stuck out the most to me. So I ran with that and, and did my best to write it out as a sketch. And then we worked on it together and brought it to life.
0: Okay. So, okay. So you wrote it as a short story first.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't like even as, say as I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't even say it was a story when I wrote it. As much as it was just like, yeah, like a, sure, yeah, long essay. Remind-
0: like yeah, you. Uh, uh-huh. It's not. It wasn't uh, John Updike's uh, like A and P. It's <laughs> just yeah, yeah. Oh, I said just. I hate that word. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was you know a prose piece that you convert it into a sketch. Yes, yes, Excellent. All right. Before we dive into Justice Ladies, uh, do you have like an earliest memory of comedy? Like that that first time that it really clicked, like, oh, this is something cool.
1: I love this question. Um, My earliest memories of comedy that where it clicked and I remember thinking this is so funny is probably the far side. Like Gary Larson... um,
0: the the, com-
1: the, strips. the comic strips yeah we had a bunch um we had a bunch of those little books that um I feel like I haven't seen one of these around in forever but it was just a coffee table book I guess uh yeah. uh Farside Comics and I thought they were so funny and um I'd always loved writing and drawing and so I think that that was also kind of just clicked in my brain as far as how you can, how things can be funny in that way. And I was probably, I was probably eight, maybe. Like I would say first or second grade, probably second
0: mm.
1: grade. Um, And then after that, it would definitely have been, um, oh my gosh, like Nick at Night. I loved Mr. Ed um and all those weird old old shows like get smart and
0: uh, so so your experience with Nick and Knight was when they were like uh, and it's so weird to think about this where like probably when they were airing, it was still only like 20 25 years for certain of the shows. like I remember in the last couple like in the last couple years I was like scrolling through and noticed that Nick and Knight's still a thing. Which but they were showing, like, the George Lopez show.
1: Oh, weird. Yeah, I know. It was way...
0: And, and that felt weird to me, because yeah. I was like, yeah, that was a thing in my teenage years or 20s, like...
1: Wow, George Lopez feels way too recent.
0: <laughs> exactly. Like, and I remember, like, before that, like, Full House
1: yeah, was no. oh. Nick at
0: Night, and that didn't feel right either.
1: That isn't, because Full House is TGIF. <laughs> okay, but do you remember SNCC?
0: Uh, Vaguely. I didn't have cable growing up, so, like... I missed out on a large portion of uh, cable childhood.
1: Oh man. I tell you like, and this was another thing with that. I remember distinctly from childhood is being really interested in anything that was kind of also creepy, like anything that had creatures or talking animals or Mm. anything that was like kind of mystical and magical, but also um, funny, like I loved um, Jim Henson, the Labyrinth, like anything with the Muppets.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I just loved that stuff. And then as I got older, it was um, I really fell in love with Mystery Science Theater 3000 and all of those, everything that comes with B-movies and um, <laughs> all of that stuff. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: I I'm definitely late to the game of mystery science theater 3000. First, like, uh, is there a favorite one for you? Like, is there a favorite episode of a movie?
1: Oh uh, yes, I love. I think my favorite is probably Mitchell. It's a terrible movie. I can't even remember what the movie's about, but it sticks out in my mind as one of my favorite mystery science theater episodes. And then and also the
0: original one with Joel. yeah yeah so joel was still on the show with this one okay
1: yes yes i think this probably would have been season six five or six it was i think at the time it was on it might have already moved to sci-fi channel but it might have been on comedy central but Mm. this would have been um probably like 96 97 98 around in there um that was just my go-to, this makes me sound very cool, my go-to like evening experience Saturday night, Friday night, my um, brother and I would just watch Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> and to this day, it's still something that we love to do. And he's actually, he's a, per, he's a performer in Seattle as well and um, okay. created a show kind of based on that um, because of his love of it as well. So it... It's definitely a lasting, lasting <laughs> comedic love. like
0: like a movie riff show.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um He's a drag performer, and so he does mm. it. We do. Um, it's live riffing on the movie, and then during the slow, kind of boring parts, there's drag performances. Oh, That's fun. Yeah, it's super
0: fun. Um, yeah. Okay, it's really interesting. I asked that, I asked this question to everyone and you're definitely the first person to, to mention comic strips, hmm. which I never think about. Like, well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't mean it that way. Like, but now that you said, it, I was like, yeah, why isn't that like more people's first impression? Or are they just thinking like, um, because I definitely remember Farside because like, you know, in elementary school, they thought I was gifted. So I went to a, a gifted program a day a week.
1: Far gifted, Josh.
0: <laughs> uh, we're not so sure about that anymore. <laughs> um, and I very clearly on the wall, they had that far side uh, panel with like the gifted program and the kids pushing a, a pool door.
1: Yes, I totally remember and that. And that
0: was my first introduction to far side. Growing up, I loved Foxtrot.
1: Oh, I forgot about Foxtrot.
0: Um, to the point, like, where I would go to the library and take out, like, you know, how they compile, like, the year's worth of, of comics in a book.
1: Yes, I love and I would
0: that. take those out every year, like, as much as I could. Like, yeah, Garfield was a thing, even though Garfield yeah. wasn't oh always God. funny.
1: Garfield is totally one of my favorites, too. And I have no idea why, because I agree. He was never really that funny, but there was something about, like, the cat and lasagna for some <laughs> reason really cracked me up.
0: And also, as a as a kid, I had the Garfield cartoon itself it was on TV, so I guess I had like
1: I a kinship. That.
0: Yeah, and uh,
1: I think was also around that
0: time. It's mm, kind of a funny. One. And uh, yeah, so and I think you're one of the first first people to mention Mystery Science to three thousand as well. Like, that shocks me. Yeah, because you would think comedy nerds would definitely gravitate to it. I don't want to sound pejorative, but everyone I talk to is basically some kind of comedy nerd. Like for this <laughs> podcast and you know we should take you know take pride take glory in that so i think the first time i actually ever really watched a full episode of mystery science Theater 3000 was uh when i first had my first sketch group when i first got involved in here in philadelphia uh the team's name was judo range and actually comes from an episode of mystery science Th- mystery science theater like so the dude that you know invited all he's like let's watch it so we can see you know where i got this name and we watched it. i was like yeah okay so this is This is a thing that's happening. I get it.
1: (laughs) I love that. I think it's one of those things. It reminds me a lot of movies like, um, like the Goonies. If you didn't see it when you were 12, it doesn't, it might not have the same effect as it does now. Absolutely. And to me, I don't know if I would love mystery science theater as much now. I think I probably would because movies cinema in general, is one of my favorite things to, I don't know, I guess I'm i I'm a movie nerd as much as a comic. Mm-hmm. nerd. Um, so I think I would still like it, but I definitely think that it's, I extra love it because I watched it growing up.
0: I want someone to actually come up with a, a like a phrase or a word that describes something, something that you know is good but would definitely be better if you experienced it earlier.
1: I agree with you so much. Like, I there love has to be some kind of like exists to describe that because it's so mm-hmm. it's such a thing that is it's such a thing that is real. I'm very articulate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, because <laughs> like I like, like, clearly I'll give you an example from, you know, personal experience in the like couple last couple weeks uh so i consider myself a huge steve martin fan
1: oh my gosh me too he's one of my favorite but
0: there's a bunch of his movies i just have never seen and some (laughs) of his and some of his big ones so a couple days ago i watched the jerk for the first time
1: oh yes
0: and like i couldn't help but like sit like there there's great moments in it there's great things i've seen a bunch of the funny clips in previous you know in clip packages or like tributes to him or whatever but like the entire time i'm watching it like there was a huge part of me i was like if i saw this at like 13 i would have an entirely different response to this movie now like for whatever reason my parents had dirty rotten scoundrels (laughs) and that became my major steve martin movie like partially because of that scene at the dinner table where he's like excuse me may i use the bathroom like, that scene, that's one of the funniest things in, in movies to me ever. But yeah, so, like, I always want, like, I I want some kind of name of, like, revisiting something from the past that you should have seen, like, in your formative years, where it would have been better.
1: Yeah, I think that needs to exist.
0: We got, For sure. We have to figure out of, like, it's, you know, there's the thing that, you know, the Mandela effect, we need some kind of, like, blank effect, like, <laughs> it... what that... What that theory is, instead of me just explaining it in a in a full paragraph.
1: <laughs> it's I don't I mean. word. It's not, and it's not like nostalgia because it's the opposite. Because yeah, you don't
0: nostalgia. exactly.
1: So what's the opposite of nostalgia?
0: That's what we have to figure out. Hang on, uh, I'm on the case. <laughs> <laughs> what's your introduction then to like televised, or even live sketch comedy or improv?
1: I I would say, um, gosh, probably growing up, it would have been um, Saturday Night Live for sure. Um, I loved the years of, um, gosh, I think nine, probably ninety eight to two thousand. Um, that cast when it was like Will Ferrell, Tina Fey. Um, that I feel like, I, and again, I'm not sure if this was just. Um, because of the time frame when I was watching it or um, just that cast was exceptional, but, or a combination of both. But that to me was kind of what really um, made me realize that you could do this for a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it never really occurred to me that I could seek it out in, I'm from Montana oh. and there aren't a lot of opportunity. Well, at least in my, in my limited capacity, I didn't see of opportunities to do comedy um, growing up. And so I loved watching it. And I, I found comedy in just in life as far as um, growing, just growing up watching the people around me and um, getting involved in theater was the way that I kind of was the avenue I took to get involved with performing. Um, But I didn't, I didn't start performing comedy until um, I'd always done like musicals Mm -hmm. and I've been on stage doing, I've been in bands and I've done a lot of performing in my life, but never straight up comedy until I enrolled in improv classes two years ago.
0: Okay. Uh, you're getting ahead of me a little bit here, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is fine, uh, but we're going to pause. You mentioned the SNL cast of 98, 2000, which is yes. generally like when I first started watching too, uh, I I was tickled. Um, every weekend throughout the summer, SNL has been putting uh, various sketches on those like SNL vintage from oh, gosh, and they actually nice. put up one of my favorite sketches, which was from the first episode I remember like staying up and watching it's you know ingrained in my head like actually I, like throughout high school I actually taped every episode for like four years
1: oh, I, lo- I love that I did, I did that this is so embarrassing I did that with home improvement <laughs> it was not because of the comedy it was purely for my love of Jonathan Taylor Thomas
0: <laughs> so but uh, I- oh so you were heartbroken when he uh got that that cancer scare episode.
1: Oh my gosh, I can't even talk about it.
0: <laughs> There's there was a, like speaking of John, uh, JTT. Uh there was a show here in Philadelphia where they would read like bad fan fiction. Oh. And there was like Oh my gosh, and there I I I now I need to like find it and like send it to you just to, like give you the I, whole idea of it. Please. <laughs> um uh there was an erotic fan fiction Oh that the host found <laughs> with uh JTT's character and the older brother.
1: Oh dang. Where
0: they took <laughs> and I and I just and I fully remember the episode that they like based it off of. Um
1: I bet I do too. <laughs>
0: it, so you like obviously you're going to. Uh remember when Randy got his own bedroom in the basement? Oh my gosh.
1: They, yes, 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 yes. Say no more. So he
0: guess. He was sleeping down there in the basement, but like he was hearing all the noises and it was freaking him out. So he was sleeping on the couch.
1: Oh, totally, so, yes.
0: So that's the jumping off point. So the, the writer of this awful erotic fan, uh, fan fiction took like that part of the episode where like he shoves his pillow in the microwave to hide it. <laughs> yes. And then sets up him and the brother like missing each other.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: And I can't- I'm in. I'm in the audience half drunk and I'm howling because I, I distinctly remember this episode for whatever reason.
1: <laughs> I do too. And I remember, I know why I remember it. And it's because I was so obsessed with that basement bedroom, the way that they, I know oh, it was, was so cool. It was so cool. It had like a chain link fence that like made it or some kind of, it had some kind of like fence or something that. They, like, created a room in the middle of the room.
0: Yeah, it was clearly, like, the set designer for that what? show clearly picked everything that nine- or ten-year-old Josh would have loved to have in a bedroom. Like,
1: Oh, man. Maybe just the design. I didn't care as much about the stuff that was in there, but...
0: <laughs> right, I sure. <laughs> um, and So, as we... Okay, as we got onto that tangent about home improvement... Back right. to Sign It Live. Uh yes. and my this episode. So the, the sketch that they just put up was the first episode that um Jimmy Fallon, Horatio Sands was on. Like uh Cameron Diaz was a host. And uh it's a sketch called Jingleheimer Junction. Where hmm. for it's a kid's show, and for whatever reason the characters on the show have the first letter of their name on their shirts. So I, I forget the actual names, but there's a guy with the F. There's a, guy with a, there's a guy with an F, girl with a C, and a guy with a K or something like that. And then they're like, we have a new friend, Umberto Unity. And a guy with a U comes out. So the entire sketch is them trying to rearrange themselves to spell out F-U-C-K and the host trying to stop it. And it's just, it's a silly premise, but it's so fun. And when I saw it on YouTube, I like just washed all these memories back to me. All that said, that's
1: the.
0: Best. Uh, that was your highlight cast. Who would be your favorite cast member of all time?
1: I think my favorite cast member of all time is Amy Poehler. Okay. Why? I really love. I really love the way that she um, creates characters, and. I always anytime I watch her do anything I fall completely into whatever it is she's
0: performing mm.
1: and I love that but it's really hard to choose just one person yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I, like I yeah I stumbled upon this question the first time I did this and I've asked everybody since and I, I do kind of I do feel a little bad like because you know having one favorite I know feels a little rough sometimes
1: but it's a good exercise. Yeah. Um, I also. Oh man, and I'm not even sure if that was technically her time frame. She, she was a little, little bit happier.
0: later. Like um, I think she joined the the show in 01. but still, great. Close. Yeah. I don't think like there might have been not great sketches or stuff, or like there there might have been periods where SNL has been like not as good. But I don't think in my, or, you know, less talented cast members maybe for sure, mm-hmm. I don't think there's been a bad cast in the last Oh, I years. don't think so
1: either. I totally
0: agree. Especially when you see, like, you know, certain cast members maybe not, maybe not have hit or had success after the show or whatever. But, like, if you look back at the last 20 years, SNL has had a pretty good uh, track record of people. I think so. So... I don't know. Oh, it's always love I it. love it's my. It's always been my favorite.
1: Oh god! I think my favorite sketch too is one that um from that same time frame, the delicious fish. Um, Anna Gasteyer mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> Molly Shannon. I love that so much, and I was in, I was involved in choir in high school, and every at the end of every year we put on a Pops concert and we got to pick a theme and the whole, this, the people, I don't know how it was divided out as far as like who got to decide the theme or run with it. But, um, if it was the senior class or just the top choir or something, but we ended up choosing Saturday night live hosts, the Grammys. Okay. My like junior year of high school. And it was so fun to do what we ended up doing was in between the performances. Um, we would do, we would just do Saturday night live sketches, which I guess that would have been my first kind of foray into actual sketch comedy. I had forgotten all about that.
0: So we're dragging <laughs> but memories. But I, my,
1: go. I know. I love it, but we did, um, delicious dish was one of the ones that we, that we did at the show. And also the, um, dog show Mm, do you remember that one mr bojangles that shaky little dog (laughs) yeah
0: that dog that clearly doesn't know what he's what's happening and why is he here
1: uh yeah will ferrell also i i he's it's hard to not choose him as my favorite too
0: yeah he's he's pretty resounding he's definitely on the top of that pile and it's funny that you mentioned doing the dish because i actually was my first sketch like yeah, really? the, the first thing I wrote that I can clearly call a sketch that I actually wrote down was me ripping off Delicious Dish, replacing Anna and Molly as the hosts, because I wanted to do it. So it's now two guy hosts. Yeah. Whenever I get to I love it. editing that episode, people can hear my Delicious Dish parody. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. So you mentioned performing and... uh like, what kind of theater were you doing there in Montana?
1: Well, back in Montana, I was doing um, community theater at the local Billings Studio Theater It was actually down the street from my house, conveniently located. I loved musicals. That was a huge part of childhood was musicals. And I auditioned for as many as I could uh-huh. <laughs> at And so I did a lot of like um, Meet Me in St. Louis and other like Seattle, or not Seattle Children's Theater, but um, that, um, I don't know if it was, there was like a traveling children's theater that would come to town. (laughs) I don't know. They would always do, and I thought it was like Missoula Children's Theater or Billings children's theater but it was they always um had like a standard like jack and the beanstalk mm-hmm. kind of show and then they would cast as many it was always a huge cast of kids in the in town and i was in a i was in a bunch of those um and so i did i did a lot of just like random community sure, theater yeah. stuff
0: <laughs> it's a way of getting introduced to classics and like the hits from years and years ago because those, I get the sense that a lot of community theaters like, they only will do the shows that have been around forever.
1: That's what it seems like.
0: Like like the super familiar or even like, I think I think to license a show for like stage, it gets cheaper and cheaper the, the older it gets. So yeah, you know, I think you're right. going back, let's let's go back thirty years to whatever Julie, Judy Garland was in a year like. And well, not have to pay that much for it.
1: Yeah. And I think, what is that rule? There is some, some like, I think everything now that was published in like 19, it's 70 years maybe or 30. The
0: public 30, domain. Years, yeah. That it becomes yeah.
1: public domain.
0: Yeah. I think that, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's a the, cool. Thing. Interesting. Yeah. Like, I'm on board with community theater. I don't see it as much as I should, but I don't, yeah. There's other things in my life that my nephew is getting into like high school drama. Now,
1: oh, so. <laughs> That's kind of fun.
0: So actually like he's actually really taking an interest in theater. So I've been trying to help him
1: Nice. push
0: him towards shows that I like and all that good stuff. That's um, nice.
1: I, I haven't done, I can't imagine doing theater um, now and I think it's because I have fallen in love with, with comedy and, and writing
0: (laughs) yeah so all right so let's get to it um you said you took like your first improv class a couple years ago so how do you fall into that
1: that was um so random seeming to me anyway I started a new job in August of 2016 and it was a time in my life (laughs) where I finally felt like I had enough brain space, having left a job that was I was quickly burning out on and starting at a new place, feeling just ready to kind of explore things that I had not ever given myself the opportunity to explore. And improv comedy was one of them. And so I kind of did a Google search of what was near me. And I thought, if I just signed up for a class, that's right after work, I can just go from there. And I'll have no excuses to go home and just do nothing. I'll be able to go out and do comedy. Mm -hmm. And I don't even remember why I wanted to do it. It was just this thing that it was a bucket list thing. And I felt like checking it off. So I found Jet City through Google. Thank you, Google. And they were in the U District, which is where is where I'm working. And so it made sense. And I enrolled in classes there. And um, my first <laughs> my first class was so different than I expected. I didn't know what to expect, but I really thought it was going to be um, a lot of theater people or people in the community that were far more knowledgeable about the art and um, nope, nope, it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> I, it was, it was a pleasant surprise actually because it was a lot of really down to earth folks coming from their jobs, not unlike myself. Um, a lot of people who wanted to just get better at public speaking, a lot of people who had just moved to Seattle and wanted to meet new people or had just started jobs and um, didn't know anybody and wanted to do it that way. But um, it was really, really fun. And it was a, it, it, I noticed after the first, um, I think the classes were either four or six weeks, but I noticed immediately. I noticed an immediate change in my life just oh, wow. from doing improv. And it's, it, it's just because of the, the way that you, um, you know how comedy is an improv in particular, I feel like is such a different part of your brain and working those muscles and just really focusing on that, part of my brain after not for a while, I think it just like cracked open and comedy just rushed into my life in a totally different way than it ever had before. And it just it made me a better communicator. It totally added just so much to my life and I, can't, I will never look back. <laughs>
0: Uh, how deep into improv training does it take for you to uh, connect with the rest of Justice Ladies?
1: I met Krista first, and that would have been in Improv One Hundred and Three, and that would have been mm, <laughs> March or like spring of two thousand and seventeen, I think. Okay, so.
0: Like, you all weren't together, like, from 101. Like, nope. Okay. Nope.
1: Krista and I, I, and I might have, I met Mary. Um, so there's, there's five of us, and I met Mary at a musical improv workshop class. Um, and then I'm, and I had, and I met Krista in 103, and then all, and then four of us <laughs> ended up in Improv Two Hundred One together. Okay. And um, it was, and that was in the the fall of twenty seventeen. And so I had known Krista from One Hundred Three, and I'd known Mary from this musical improv class, and I knew one of the other ladies, Desiree, from volunteering at Jet City. Mm-hmm because after I took that first improv class, like I said, I got so interested in just being around improv yeah. that I started volunteering Absolutely. at the theater as well.
0: It's one of the and ways so... that comedy theater thrives. <laughs> so true. It's looking in those people that want to volunteer and want to be around more. And...
1: Yes. It's so, it's just, oh, I love it. <laughs> um, so I went, I met, so I knew her through volunteering Desiree and then, um, All of us ended up in 201 together and at the end of that class, Desiree had already done, um, she'd done the month of sketch comedy that May prior Mm -hmm. and really loved it and had really liked uh, sketch writing and hadn't done much comedy writing at all. And so she was really interested in forming her own sketch group or kind of just getting interested people together to um, do it again in May. And so she asked, she asked uh, um, Krista and Mary and then they asked me and then um, we did, we started meeting and we started meeting that following, like after, after the holidays and tw- and then 2018 started and we started meeting like um, beginning of the year and did, we did that month of May sketch comedy. And re- through that, we met our fifth member, um, Jess. Okay. And so she came in a little bit later and has just, you know, seamlessly, seamlessly fits in. And it's it's been a really great group to work with and so much fun to kind of explore this aspect of
0: comedy. Yeah. It, I've talked to a couple of you of uh, people from Seattle you know gearing up for Sketch House Seattle and it seems like that Sketch Month at uh, The Pocket is really like the impetus for half of the comedy that I've heard about in Seattle so far it like so- it feels like everyone has gotten together because of Sketch Month which I love I absolutely pocket- love hearing about this yeah. like-
1: <laughs> The Pocket came along I'm not even sure how long they've been there um, but I, you know, when you're not a part of something and you start and you think that everybody knows everything, mm-hmm. um, and it seemed like I thought the pocket had been there forever, but I, I don't think it has. And I don't think sketch comedy no, it's in Seattle, within
0: like like last 10 years or so, I think.
1: Yeah, I I don't, and I don't, I'm not sure how, um, w- my understanding from doing the pocket sketch comedy month last May I was blown away by how um, sketch didn't have as, as much of a, of a presence in Seattle as other types of comedy and mm-hmm. the pocket has absolutely provided such a great space for people to, to, I think to make sketch comedy be more prevalent. And I, it's such a, it's a really great spot.
0: Uh, I think you mentioned that. Uh, does Justice Ladies do improv as well? Yeah. Or did, did, like, did you start out doing improv and then more sketch, or vice versa? Or
1: we started out doing Justice Ladies. Started out purely as sketch, but we all have okay. improv background, and sure, so
0: sure.
1: we um have definitely we bring aspects of improv into our sketches when which I love that like with the um self-checkout nightmare there's a lot of opportunity for the machine and the shopper to really heighten and um add so much more to the scene through improvising and so that's really the only improv that kind of comes into sketch but um Outside of Justice Ladies, all of us are involved in I think all of us are involved in improv outside of Justice Ladies just with the other groups or doing our own um our own stuff elsewhere.
0: Hmm. Um, so let's all right, let's talk more a little bit more about Justice Ladies. Uh describe, you know, a typical Justice Ladies show to me. Like what can an audience who've never walked into one of your shows before? What could they expect?
1: I would say walking into a Justice Lady show is walking into the living room of a good friend and meeting all of their close friends. (laughs) And it's that that vibe of relatable and cringeworthy At the same time, Um, we have a lot of different perspectives, which I think just adds to everything Um, and uh, different like age ranges, I think, which also adds to the different like perspectives and stuff. So I would say probably what you're going to get is it's a mixed bag, but it's definitely one of those. Women focused, like, but not, but only because we are women, you know what I mean? Of course. Um, It's top of the mind issues that ladies are facing, but it's because, but it's also just our own stuff that we're dealing with and think is funny. (laughs) And a lot of the times it involves, um, like, song and random props and I would say that we definitely strive to be relatable.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, What's the writing process for you then, like for the group?
1: We do a lot of, we, we meet um, pretty much weekly. And when we write, we are either meeting virtually to write and edit, or we meet at a neighborhood bar. And do like a round table and someone will come up. We have, we have, someone will have an idea or like a rough outline of of a sketch. And we all have different strengths in different areas. And so we really work to play to each other's strengths and um, the brainstorming process or the collaboration process is, is part of my favorite part of writing. And so we take like that, baby idea and either tackle it all together round table style or two of us will will work on editing and two of us will work on another sketch simultaneously and then we'll switch and and keep adding or um doing it that way or um we also do a lot of one of my favorite things that we've done is we got in, we took a notebook, we like removed the computers, removed technology and just got a notebook and um, we would write down a sentence and then pass it to the next person and just keep going for like an whatever amount of time, like three minutes and then try and write a sketch based on what we'd written oh, that's just a to kind of get the creative juices flowing.
0: I've like heard that. I don't know if it, I, I can call it a prompt of like, um you know passing that story along writing and I don't think I've ever experienced that like within the sketch setting of like starting with that kind of idea
1: it's funny to see and we've done it too with just dialogue mm. like <laughs> trying to do something that's all dialogue just to kind of see what
0: happens mm.
1: doesn't work very well <laughs> yeah. but everything's worth a try
0: yeah that's a writing process get a jumping off point start somewhere go from there exactly we talked a little bit about doing theater there in Montana as a child. Like, was there a time, you know, growing up between, you know, childhood, teenage years, whatever, to adulthood that you weren't performing?
1: I never really thought about it. I did. I would say probably the, um, yeah, the last, between my, um, sophomore and between my sophomore year of college and graduating between my sophomore and senior, and graduating from college I did not perform okay um, and then I right after college I moved to Seattle and started performing then so that would have been 2004
0: oh okay and um, yeah um
1: but that was in a band that was it okay it was totally different kind of performing still
0: counts not
1: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I think and then um I took another couple years off when I was at that job that was burning me out I didn't have time to perform that's
0: that's what I was trying to like get to like if there was a point of like where adulthood like crept in and like, you felt like you had to like be serious or like.
1: Yeah, for like, sure. And that's exactly what happened was I took a job that um, was like a step up and it was a, it was a great move and it was a really great job, but, um, and I did really, really love it. And I was there for about four years, but it was in that time period that um, it just got to be There wasn't, like I said earlier, there wasn't enough space in my brain to perform or to really be creative the way that I wanted to be. And um, there came a point where I just knew I needed to quit that job (laughs) and I needed to find something that would give me more time in my day. And as soon as I did, that was when it all kind of cracked back open and performing just... It just hit all fronts, and so now I'm back at it.
0: Yeah, because like as you were talking about like taking that first improv class and it kind of being like a revelation. Yeah. Like I, I had to wonder like if there was a a, a nascent like a point where there like it was a shell had built up that you had to, like shake off.
1: Absolutely.
0: To get back into absolutely.
1: it, absolutely. It did. I it really did feel. I think I said this earlier, but really felt like something cracked open and. Yeah. I I was reborn <laughs> in the golden <laughs> light of comedy.
0: Um so uh as we're wrapping up um I'm always curious uh is there something that that comedy has taught you? And I'll give you the caveat that like I could either it could either be something like existential about life. Guys, yeah, we talked about, you know, like you know, improv like shaking off this, you know, prior self, you know, re rebirth and whatever um or just a trick of the trade of writing and performing that you would pass on to someone who's just getting started
1: the thing that comedy has taught me the most or the what I think is the most beneficial thing I've gleaned from comedy or that I've experienced um is Always be the observer. I think that there are taking a beat, taking that moment to really soak up what's going around, soak up what's going on around you, and listening to everything and just noticing everything. I feel like that's comedy. Like there is so much comedy in just the everyday things that are happening around us. And if you observe, then you can find that. And that, I think, is the road to, I don't know, being a little more lighthearted or a little more light in your step, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense.
0: <laughs> being observant, definitely, I, I feel, is a, a, a good thing for people to to know like in in my times of being observant and like you know seeing like various characters out on the street and like little foibles and whatever that I think oh I can mind that I could play with that mm-hmm. like you fill up a notebook and you look back on it like six months later and it is like rambling of a crazy yeah, like, so true like I just I what does this mean like
1: <laughs> I also I also think that um we as people can give our just to remind ourselves that our experiences and our observations, those are what are unique to us. And that's how that's, I think so much a part of comedy is putting your own unique spin on things on what you're observing and on your, on what you're seeing and, and interpreting. And, and I think that it's just, I love that. I love seeing how other people, are viewing things and then relating to that, even if it's, it's just, ah, I don't know. It's a cool thing. (laughs) I don't know how to put it into words.
0: (laughs) And then finally, uh, sounds like you spent some time in some form of corporate rat race (laughs) uh, or some kind of like, you know, office job that took up way too much time or whatever it was, uh, and then, you know, taking an improv class became like this revelation for you. So, uh, why is comedy? How you spend your time now?
1: I pursue comedy because it's like a, I it's like a treasure hunt. There's always something exciting around the bend, and the anticipation of performing, the joy of actually writing and seeing something that you've written come to life on stage is so gratifying it just it feels amazing to create and to collaborate and to share that with an audience so I keep going back and doing this because it just is so
0: fulfilling on every level yeah I agree (laughs) (laughs) thanks Elle Thank you, Josh. El Monteith and her sketch group Justice Ladies will perform at Sketchfest Seattle on Thursday, september twelfth, in the eight thirty block, along with Bathwater. Tickets and more information can be found at Sketchfest.org. You can like Justice Ladies on Facebook at facebookcom Ladies, and Justice Ladies has a hyphen in between. You can also find them online at seattlejusticeladies.com. My first sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketch Fest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band No No, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.